Ashton, Ashton, Ashton Media. A salesperson used to be able to turn up at an advertiser and as long as they knew their own product, they'd pretty much be fine. Now we live in such this wibbly-wobbly world of cross-pollination and there's so much choice within advertisers. Hello, I'm Gavin Stewart, Marketing Director and Co-Founder of Ashton Media and the host of this new Ashton Cast series, Video Fast Forward, brought to you by our friends at Pubmatic. These are short, sharp stories and solutions to the biggest challenges in marketing, advertising, media, and CX. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and comment, and tell anyone you know that is interested in this industry about this podcast and your favorite episode. You can find AshtonCast on all of the major podcast players. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Go to ashtonmedia.com.au forward slash ashtoncast for more info. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Ashton Cast. I am here with the one and only Nick Young, who is the Director of Sales, Digital and Publishing at Nine. What a mouthful. Nick Young, welcome to Ashton Cast. Thanks very much. Good to be here. Mate, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I've been in media now 20 years. Uh, currently, obviously, work for Nine. I look after the um, sales, programmatic operations, tech and data functions from a commercial perspective uh, at nine. Uh, previously before that, I was at MCN as sales director. Uh, I've been in the industry about 20 years, married, two kids, uh, been on Australia now for about 12 years. Yeah, wow, fantastic. And, um, you know, you mentioned you've been in the industry for 20 years and I believe the last 10 or so of those were, were in TV. What is it that you love about what you do? Oh, look, I know it's a cliche, but it is the people. Like, it's always been through my entire career, I've worked with some brilliant people. And I love the office banter, which, you know, I sorely miss at the moment, if I'm being really frank. It's probably one of the only things I really miss about Mm -hmm. the situation that we're in. Uh, And just, you know, it's constantly evolving. It's constantly moving forward. It's challenging. It's fun. It's exhausting. (laughs) Um, You know, I, I like the strategic elements of it. And... A lot of people don't view sales as that strategic, you know, it's quite siloed and, uh, uh, but from, from, and look, I used to say it as well. I used to say, oh, you know, sales is not rocket science and (laughs) and it's not, but if you're crafting a story in market and you're looking at a product and you're looking how best to deliver that for an advertiser and create some, a solution for them, especially with the asset mix that, that we have at nine across all of those different platforms, it, it does require a lot of, um, deep and strategic thinking to be able to bring those assets together and craft a solution that works effectively for a client. So I enjoy all of those aspects. Um, and most of all, just the fact that it is constantly moving forward. So we're obviously in a very strange time at the moment. Um, you know, what's what's happening at nine in terms of people sort of working from home versus, versus working in the office? Yeah, it's, it's trying to strike a balance. Uh, at, the, uh, at the moment, there is, there is no directive really either way. Um, we have a vast majority of people working from home, uh, obviously because we've got a, a pretty young, for this from a sales perspective, workforce, the commute into Australia Square um, can be challenging mm-hmm. at best. So we're, we're, we're for the most part working from home and that may change going forward. I think, you know, we've, we've allowed that freedom 
whilst very mindful that that actually doesn't work for some people. So if people do want to come into the office and they do want to have a more uh, regimented type structure around their environment, that we offer that as well. Um, and I think it, we're trying to constantly sort of push and pull to find out what's working for them mainly mm -hmm. and then making sure that we are facilitating whatever it is that they need. And so you've obviously got a, a big team underneath you that you, that you take care of. Um, how have you found the whole kind of remote workforce and, and remote management piece? Surprisingly, a lot better than what I thought it would before it all happened. Um, I think the basic functions and the basic processes are there and in place. I mean, you know, the daily checkings and all of those things that are new to a VC type environment um, are actually quite rewarding to do and have gone very well. But my one thing around that, especially when you're dealing with uh, an eclectic workforce across many different groups and ages and different styles, is the ability to sit in front of someone and pick up on nonverbal cues mm. around how they're doing in their job space. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> if they're struggling, if they're uh, overworked, if they're just putting on an act to say that everything's fine when it's not, that I do, you know, I'm going to be frank, I find that really challenging over a VC. And I think that that requires as a result of that, you require consistent and constant check-ins with your teams to make sure that they're having honest conversations. And the other, the other thing I will say is, you know, uh, especially at nine and in my previous role, um, you know, having people around that disagree with you and give their point of view strong is something that I really like about what we do. Sure. Uh, you know, we've got strong and forcible people in our industry, and I really like that that area of it. That's a lot harder on VC. It's a lot harder to tell someone that you don't agree with them and you you think it should go this way on VC. Although certainly my peers don't seem to have an issue with that. Uh, <laughs> certainly with me, anyway. Uh, Polite so, on VC with Nick Young. <laughs> no, 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 that's definitely gone. Uh, but I think that those are those are the things that have been more challenging. And that's why, you know, there are certain times in certain areas that we try and get people together in the sure. appropriate ways and yep. social distancing to be able to sit in front of each other and 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 have that face-to-face uh, -face communication. Yeah, like ideation and problem solving. Absolutely. And, you know, there's nothing like being able to bounce something off someone quickly, right? Because... You know, like ninety percent of our communication is nonverbal, and mm. you just miss that stuff when you're on your own VC, right? It was really highlighted yesterday. So we had an on-site yesterday with the um, digital and publishing teams, and you know, th there was a group of us in a room. It was a big room, socially distanced, and the conversation goes in different. It's far more freer to go into different mm. directions face to face than it would be on VC. That said, in terms of the functioning capabilities, the um, the uh, the ability to drive the business forward, the uh, momentum and um, uh, work ethic of the sales team, I can't fault them at all. Fantastic. You know, it, it's been just as much at home. If, in, and in many cases, there's certain areas, and my operations team in particular, you know, they've worked better at home than they perhaps did in the office. Hmm. And I, I think what I hope we'll do is take this time uh, and not just go back to how it was before. And, that, you know, we'll take these learnings and create something new over the next sort of six months, 12 months. Honestly, I don't think things will ever go back to the way they were Yeah, and before. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, managed in the right way. I think that that's actually a good thing. And, and it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. Yeah, absolutely. This is only the third interview that I've done for the podcast series where we've actually been able to do it back in person. And I'll tell you, it is monumentally different mm -hmm. to to a Zoom chat. You know, we're, yeah, we're really, really quite fortunate to be back, back in the flesh here, Nick. So, Matt, I just want to switch it up a little bit. So what's a great TV advertising campaign that you can remember from when you were a kid? And can you just describe that in as full detail as you can remember? I can, but it probably wasted on the Australian <laughs> audience is the problem with that. I mean, I come from a country that had uh, TV 
commercial ad awards uh, that you know that were absolutely fantastic. I, I think the, the big ones that I remember the most were the, the, the funny ones and the ones that told a story over a long period of time. You know, there was uh, soap opera TV commercials that resonate with me very well, which was just for Bisto, which is a gravy. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, so I think that those are the ones that resonate the, mo- the most for me. But certainly, which will you know, the Tango ads were just absolutely amazing in the UK, and I'll never forget those. Brilliant. And so, um, you know, converse to that, a different kind of media, but what's a great web banner ad that you can remember? Oh, the one I can remember the most is possibly both the best and the worst things of uh, digital advertising. Uh, I wouldn't say it was an amazing banner ad, but uh, the campaign was for giving up smoking, which at the time I did uh, a lot. So and, it was effective then? <laughs> uh, I don't know if that convinced me not to do it. It was sometimes later I stopped. But you, you clicked on it and it just sort of asked you how much you spent a day on cigarette or how much you smoked a day. And then uh, I clicked on it. I filled it, and I don't know why it said, "Oh, you you spent X amount a week." I thought, "Yeah, fine." I forgot about it, and then it followed me around for like three months, going, "You've spent this amount of thousands. You've spent that amount." So it drove me absolutely mad, <laughs> uh, and and really, it certainly stayed with me in the point of how much I was spending on cigarettes at the time. But I think that that is a, just a really great example of, of what the internet and what banner advertising can do so effectively, but also where it can get into the annoying and creepy, and beware of that. Mm, interesting. So. I mean, obviously, the the TV ads sort of came to mind more vividly. Why do you think that is? Uh, oh, look, I think audiovisual commercials are extremely powerful and memorable. Uh, I would also put it down to another thing, which is frequency. You know, the frequency of that advertising uh, on the set top box on the large screen, it, it just it does resonate with you more. But that's not to say it's any more effective. Certainly, memorable, but more effective and, and, and driving the outcome. I would say that equal. You know, banner advertising or, or and, uh, high impact advertising versus uh, audiovisual advertising, they all have different functions that work very, very well. Mm, interesting. And um, I know prior to us coming on air, you mentioned that your wife also works in media, you know, and you've got young kids. So, what's the discussion uh, around the young table around the importance of advertising? Well, it pays the mortgage. So that's how important <laughs> it is. Um, so don't skip through the ads. I caught my kid trying to skip through the ads the other day, which I refused to let them do. I'm a horrible parent. Um, look, we don't go home to discuss advertising in the same way. Most people don't go home and talk about their jobs in great detail. But uh, certainly from from our perspective, and I wouldn't say this is just our children, I would say more generally um, the children around our house and friends' children is there's an understanding around advertising of almost that transactional nature that I get advertising and I get this piece of content for free, wherever that may be, uh, you know, there's that understanding between the two. And I think that there is obviously a healthy um, questioning of the messages within those advertising, which I think is really important, especially when you're looking at more of the digital devices. Um, we talk heavily just around the difference between, uh, you know, the the quality and standards of traditional media organisations versus, you know, less reputable programmatic advertising that you may see. Are there any user experience concerns that you have with OTT and CTV advertising on your platform? Um, are there any that you've found when using other platforms? From a Bevo perspective, for the last three years, we've been, you know, going at pace, you know, significantly growth. And at the start, certainly in the first sort of 18 months to two years, there was significant challenges. You know, there was, uh, you know, ad frequency issues, buffering issues, as we've talked about, um, you know, even sound went up higher. So there has been those issues. But I think more recently with, you know, server size and ad, ad 
integration with, you know, just the, the improvements around um, uh, ad exchanges and ad servers and all of the different things with DSPs and SSPs are working together. All of those improvements man, have actually put our, our service now is pretty similar to that of uh, Linear. Mm-hmm. And, and, and actually, when you, you look at the, from an audience perspective, when we get feedback from our audiences, that area of, of the feedback or the negative feedback that we used to get has dropped off to almost nothing now. Great. So it's never perfect, but on an individual person by person basis, but as, a, as an industry, I think we've really solved those issues. Yeah, interesting. Uh, you think you touched on this a little bit before, you know, how do we kind of balance the kind of user experience piece with the trust piece? What are your thoughts around that? In terms of trust of advertising or trust of content? I, I guess more trust around the show me that you know me piece. So people feeling like they're being specifically tar- targeted with ads. Oh, uh, yeah. creepy advertising. With creepy you know? advertising. Oh, I, I, look, a lot of that is creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that there's been some really good work in being able to personalise creative quite well, um, especially in the mobile space. Um, but it, it, it draws a very fine line. So I think uh, more broadly targeted messages that are creatively driven work very, very well, mm-hmm. as long as they're not down to that unique individual person. And then using the data and the smarts and the the audience insights that we have to be able to make sure that it's hitting the right audience in the right time in the right way. Okay. Very interesting, mate. And um, obviously, you know, many of the biggest platforms in streaming don't run advertising. So we're talking Netflix and Stan, Amazon, Apple and Disney. Why? do you think this is? And do you think this is going to change in the coming years? I don't think in the foreseeable future, these guys will be flipping to an ad model because I think they've built up a relationship with their audience, which is you pay for this content and therefore you get it, you know, unfiltered in every sense of the word. Um, That said, you know, uh, I think audiences really do understand the difference between, you know, a transactional relationship around paid for subscription-based, and that of a free medium giving away advertising. Um, Could there be a blend between the two? Maybe. But I think that they're very focused in building up their global audience based on the single model that they've got at the moment. Um, And and the only way that really starts to change that is when you tap out in that area and, as ever, you invest more and more in content to get there, content cost rises, and you need that revenue stream to come in. But I think, to be fair, they're all doing reasonably well as it is. I can't see them changing the model too quickly. So you don't think that they might kind of start to flip towards more of the Spotify like freemium type model? It's a really good point. Uh, and, and yes, maybe in time. I don't see that in the near future uh, as they just seem to be, from an outsider looking in, so invested in actually just driving out the current subscription model that they can and competing with, with share within that. And I think that that is the important aspect of their business that they are currently focused on. I would be surprised if they tried to confuse that message at this stage, but that's not to say in two years' time as as subscriptions do start to sort of plateau that they won't look for those extra revenue streams. Do you think the emphasis on data and analytics has potentially taken away focus from the creative side of advertising? And if you do, like how, how can we bring back that balance? I think to a certain degree that's true and in, in pockets – and there's no doubt that the sweet spot happens when you've got a great creative and it uses all the data and insights to be able to accentuate that from an audience perspective. And all you can bring those two things together to really sort of kick it into gear. I think that we have definitely put a, a much greater focus on the analytics and measurement of campaigns rather than the uh, uh, judgment of creative. Although, you know, I think that that's because probably 
there's not been capability of that to be able to do it before. Mm. Um, so although I think that we've definitely dialed up that area, um, creative is, is still so much important. You know, the ads that we talk about are the ones we remember, not the mm. ones that were targeted to us. Sure. If, if that Yeah, that makes, makes a lot of sense. Yep. Um, and I think that if we work harder on bringing both of those things together, you'll see a far greater ref- uh, result and far more effective campaigns. And so I know I know we kind of talked a, a little bit about you know your experience uh, as a kid with the ads that you remember, but you said you've been here in Australia for the last eleven years. Are there are there any ads that really jumped out at you in, in maybe in the last few years? I know for me personally, I think the the stuff that Audi have been doing is is hilarious, you know, and, and it really resonates with me on an emotive level because it's really funny, right? So what about you, Nick? Oh, and, uh, everyone will sound biased, but it's got to be the Uber Eats campaign. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was absolutely fantastic. And, and the way it just seamlessly brought the two things together. For, and for the first couple of times, you were still taken in by it. Yep. Um, and it's still massively memorable. Yep. Um, you know, not to follow a similar theme, but I quite like Snoop Dogg's one, which is a, a <laughs> menu log. Quite, a menu log. That's great. Uh, but that's more just because Snoop Dogg's awesome. That's brilliant. My, uh, my whole family watches that and our heads bop along yeah. to it. <laughs> my kids are just going, that guy's cool. And I'm like, he is. He, he is, is cool. That's uh, no dog. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I loved Uber Eats. I thought it was just really well executed and really well delivered. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more there. And and what perfect timing for those guys with everyone being in lockdown. Yes. Right? <laughs> Brilliant time for a great ad. Um, so let's let's change it up a little bit and have some fun, shall we? Um, who would you look up to as a mentor or role model or muse in the industry? I've been asked this before and I've sort of stuttered around it because I don't really – have a mentor Mm -hmm. or haven't really ever pursued one. Um, I find myself learning from everyone around me and I'm quite active about it. Like Mm -hmm. I I sit down and think, right, what can I learn from that person? What can I learn from that? And that's above me, my peers, people that I I work with, uh, at all levels do I learn from. Um, And, you you know, you take the bits and sometimes the worst uh, from (laughs) all of them uh, in that regard. Um, and, And certainly at nine, there's, you know, five or six people, which I'm not going to name, that I actively sort of look up to and learn from um, in, in various different areas of the business. I mean, you know, outside of quoting people I work with, I'm not about to do because that's far too nice to them. Uh, <laughs> I suppose, you know, more recently, uh, I worked with um, Anthony Fitzgerald and Mark Frayne, who mm-hmm. were both in different ways, just so influential sure. on how I approach work, how mm-hmm. I view it, um, and taught me a hell of a lot about how to... Um, lead and adapt to change mm-hmm. and look to innovate going forward. Um, and and it, I, I sort of liken those two, although they've got very different styles, they were very actually aligned as a leadership team. Um, they were very good at um, identifying problems and then solving them and looking at new solutions and constantly driving going forward. Sure. So I've learned a lot. Brilliant. And um, obviously you're, you're quite a senior guy, uh, you know, you've got a big role. How do you go about sort of finding balance, you know, between work and the and the rest of, of life? God, that's a good question, which is very challenging at the moment. Um, one of the challenges that I personally find about working from home, quite honestly, is that there's no cutoff period. Mm. So for me, I like to, I do like to get in early. Yeah. Uh, I find that a, a good period to sit, it, have a coffee. Easy when you're at home, isn't it? It's really <laughs> easy to get home. Um, but, uh, the, but then, you know, I find the, the drive home and the, the commute home a way to cut off sure. and just put it aside and move on. I'm not a big sort of logging on at nine o'clock person if I can avoid it. Um, but those boundaries really sort of start to shade when you're bit, at home. They get a bit fuzzy, don't you know, they? I mean, you know, there's certain people that got to pick the kids up, so then they're emailing at nine o'clock at night, which is fine because, you know, they're they're 
you know, looking after the kids for a couple of hours. All of those things have become very, very blurred. So that's quite challenging at the moment. Generally, the way I do it is I have that sort of in work, I'm at work and out of work, I'm not. And I try to avoid the mobile phone where possible. Mm -hmm. And I work to a rule that if it's really urgent, they're going to call or text. Um, outside of that, I'll sort of breeze in, breeze out on my email, much to the annoyance of certain people I work with at the moment. <laughs> uh, <coughs> me. Mate, that sounds very smart to me. And it sounds like sage advice, to be honest. <laughs> Mate, uh, we're moving on to the next one here. So what books, podcasts, media are you consuming right now that's that's helping you with your day-to-day work? Um, Podcast-wise, um, there's another uh, leadership-type podcast, but outside of that, the, the one thing I'd like to promote is the, the ad contrarian. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's got such a great sense of the world. Um, I, I truly believe in his message um, uh, around... Um, advertising and how it works and people turn around and sometimes say oh well he's, he's quite anti-digital he's not i think he crafts it in a very strong light of what it's good at mm-hmm. and and also understanding the challenges around that um and i sp- especially believe in his message about the over 40s mm-hmm. and how important that is as a, a demographic that is a super consumer yet untouched by most brands who are focusing on 2554s fascinating so i think i think he's a good one to give you a good dose of reality in media What's a trend that you're really excited about in advertising? Podcasting is something that I, and and programmatic audio is absolutely something that we as a business are looking at heavily. Um, And I think that there is some really interesting um, developments in that space uh, that could, you know, over the next couple of years prove uh, very interesting to work in and a great environment to work in. You know, BVOD. No, it's only three years in and it's still growing and we're still learning uh, and we're still doing things differently. And I, I think that that's obviously a massive space for me personally. Outside of that, the plus 40s demographic, uh, we've been talking about it a lot. You know, the, the industry is still buying 2554s mm-hmm. and the world has moved on so significantly. I'm starting to see sort of little green shoots of that. Clients are acknowledging the fact that this is a massive growth market, certainly in terms of numbers mm-hmm. in Australia. And, you know, the, to refocus or reposition their brand and their campaigns into an area where consumers can actually afford and buy their products <laughs> at scale. <laughs> makes sense to me. It, it makes sense. Um, is definitely a trend that I don't, whether I'm interested or not, I hope it is one that will continue to gain momentum. Okay. And um, converse to that, what's a trend in the industry that you wish would change or stop? Uh, Not stop, but I think micro-targeting is a dangerous space for a lot of brands Mm -hmm. and and not relevant. You know, we are a population of 24 million people. Once you go past age, gender, segment, a consumer segment, location, you are you are looking at a very, very small group of people. And I think we're we're looking at this micro-targeting to create efficiencies, but when you're not reaching enough people to shift brand perception, sell your product, or whatever it may be that you're trying to achieve, then I think it's a fallacy. So I think although we can do it, and at nine we've invested significant amounts of money in our day play and our, our strategy and our ability to target um, significantly uh, across our advertising and our media, um, it is a space that um, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. And I think we need to overlay the lens of just because it appears very efficient and effective, is it still hitting enough people to actually make it count? Yeah, interesting, mate. Um, one more question and then you're off the hook. 
Um, so if you could tell someone 10 years ago one interesting thing about how screen advertising or even advertising in general um, would turn out now, what would that be? The diversity of the offerings that are available. A salesperson used to be able to turn up at an advertiser and as long as they knew their own product, they'd pretty much be fine. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They sell yep. TV, t sells TV. You know, radio sells radio. You've got to know what your other audience are doing, uh, your competition's doing and what their audience are doing. And you might know that, but that's pretty much it. Now we live in such this wibbly wobbly world of cross-pollination and there's so much um, choice within advertisers. I think that the diversity of the industry keeps it evolving, keeps it absolutely fun and dynamic. But I think 10 years, you know, uh, 10 years ago, that just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And to understand other media is probably my best advice around that. To really not just focus on where you, you know, the industry that you or area that you work in, um, but to focus on other areas um, would stand you in massive stead. So a very broad breadth broad of knowledge. knowledge. Yeah, you know, I think we still execute on a channel by channel basis, sure. but at a group business director level, they're across four different channels, yeah, right. <clears throat> you know, and so their understanding of how they all work together um, and how you can, or split them apart where relevant, but how you can bring all of that together into one cohesive sale is a, is a, uh, a skill set that we crave at nine. Mate, one more question just just came to mind, and, and you know this this is you know, something that I asked Nicola Lewis from from Group M yesterday. Obviously, it's been a very strange year for us all, um, you know, and I think it's a year that I've personally learned a lot. So, what's sort of one thing that you feel like you've really learned uh, in twenty twenty that you wouldn't have been able to learn in any other, any other year? The one thing that springs to mind makes me sound like a terrible boss. <laughs> but I am, sir. <laughs> just um, say it, mate. Speak your mind. <laughs> That true flexible working hours work. I think as an industry, or certainly the businesses that I've worked for, have, have, have absolutely promoted it and been big advocates of it across the board. But it's still culturally, you're still in the office a lot. Sure. And I think that that comes from the whole, there's a bit of peer pressure around that, a bit of management pressure. I think what we've seen during this um, strange period is that true flexible working hours, be that at home or at work, can still produce the same amount of desire, momentum and results as long as it's facilitated by the business and allowed by technology. Yeah, brilliant. Well, you know what? I'd like to say thank you very much for your time today, Nick. And and one other thing, we actually haven't said the C word once. <laughs> true. We've... I tried to avoid it. <laughs> well done, sir. So thank you very much for your time, Nick Young. Thank you. On the next episode of the Video Fast Forward series, we'll be playing the full interview with Peter Barry of Pubmatic and Nicola Lewis of Group M. Stay tuned. This Ashton Car series was proudly brought to you by our friends at Pubmatic. Again, please make sure to subscribe, rate, comment, and tell anyone that you know that is interested in this industry about this podcast and your favourite episode. You can find AshtonCast on all of the major podcast players, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Go to ashtonmedia.com.au slash AshtonCast for more info. This episode was produced in collaboration with Ashton Media and Podpaste here in Sydney, Australia. Executive produced by Gavin Stewart and the team at Pubmatic. Supervising producer, Darren Lake. Audio production, sound design and engineering by Eamon Connolly. Story writing producer, Aidan Mullins. And podcast management by Michelle Lee.
Ashton, Ashton, Ashton Media.